Thank you for joining me again today on the Bible Foundations program. I'm Jerry Smythe, and I'm just as happy as I can be to have you on our, uh, join us in our program today. You know, we're looking at Jesus, the Son of God. God, the Son. That's the message of the Bible to us in the New Testament. And we've laid the foundations over the weeks past that tell us all about God and His holiness and His perfect standard that's required when it comes for, to man having a relationship with Him. Now, God wants us to have a relationship with Him, and that's why He promised us, who, we who are sinners and separated from Him, that, there, that He would send a deliverer, one that would deliver us from the power of sin and Satan and the penalty of death in the lake of fire forever. God wants us to be delivered from that penalty. And every single person lives today under that penalty of death because every single person is born a sinner. You and I are born to ignore God. We don't think about God until we hear about God. And somehow we come to the recognition that some magnificent power created all of this around us. In spite of what the evolutionists say, we see the handiwork of God because it's too magnificent. It's too powerful to just let it happen to chance. And the Spirit of God bears that witness in the heart of every person until they continually reject that Spirit of God giving him that evidence and opportunity to believe. Now we see that Jesus, the Son of God, is God the Son. And he's come to earth, and his message is repentance. Now repentance is not a new message. It was heralded throughout the Old Testament. We remember that the message to Cain was repent. Cain, change your attitude. Believe me and come my way. We remember that the, the message to the people in Noah's time was repent. Folks, change your attitude about yourself and your sin and turn to God. Come to God, God's way, or you will perish in the flood. And Noah continued to preach as he built the ark. And for 120 years, he heralded the warning and the message of repentance. But people refused to repent. But God kept his word. Noah built that ark. They put all the animals in it as God led him to do. And then as the, his family went inside, God shut the door and God said that the time for repentance was over. It was too late now, folks. And God shut Noah and his family in and he shut three billion people out. God did that, my friend. Oh, you say, well, a righteous and holy and loving God wouldn't do a thing like that. My friend, the righteous and holy loving God gave 1,500 years or more to change their mind about their sin. And now he's given us nearly 6,000 years to change our mind in recorded human history as we've seen it throughout the Bible and we've seen it as we understand it yet today. God continually gives us the message of repentance. And that's what Jesus' message was. That's what John the Baptist's message was as the forerunner of Jesus. The message was repentance. You see, many people do not believe when God says in his word that there is nothing we can do to make ourselves acceptable to him. Many people do not believe that. You see, this is where every person, every person must change their attitude. Change their attitude from believing that there is something in us that God can accept. We reason with ourselves, after all, God made us, and I just do the best I can. Besides that, I'm as good as the next person, and perhaps a, better, a little bit better than most. I don't carry on the way some of these other people do. 
And I'll tell you what, we keep trusting in ourselves that somehow God finds something in us that's acceptable to him. But that's not the message of repentance. God says he wants us to change our attitude about that very thing and declare that that is sin in the eyes of God and come to him his way. He wants us to recognize that he cannot accept us depending on ourselves in any way. He wants us to come to him agreeing with him that we do not meet his standards and we cannot in ourselves keep the very law that he's given us as a standard to live by. He wants us to realize that we are helpless to meet God's standard no matter how high, hard we try or how much better we live than someone else. You see, God promised to send a, deli a deliverer who would be able to satisfy God and meet his standard of holiness, which you and I cannot meet. The deliverer would be the promised seed of the virgin who would crush Satan and the power of sin in us. That very desire in ourself that justifies ourselves before God and our personal reliance on ourselves to somehow be accepted by God just the way we are. Now, the good news is, my friend, that Jesus, God the Son, has become the Son of God by the power of the Holy Ghost to be the Deliverer or the Savior that was promised. God himself would be our Deliverer. Now, we're going to see the critical importance of this as we see that God accepted Jesus and his perfect life on earth. Our last time together, we watched as John the Baptist baptized Jesus, and as he came up out of the water, the, there was a voice from heaven. This was the voice of God the Father who said, This is my beloved Son. This is my beloved Son. You see, God recognized Jesus as his Son. Was Jesus uh, a totally a human being? You bet he was. But his Father was God the Holy Spirit. That was necessary, you see, for in order to be accepted by God, a perfect standard had to be met. And only a perfect one could meet that standard. God was announcing to the world in the presence of all of those people, including John the Baptist and the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, those pious ones who were uh, priding themselves in being the only ones who could give the proper interpretation of God's word, and then those others who came along and added to God's word, and yet the others who deleted portions of God's word. And the message to all of them was repentance. And here the message is, this is my beloved son, and God says, in whom I am well pleased. You see, God had been watching the life of Jesus on earth. And he saw that Jesus was sinless. Did you catch what I said? God saw that Jesus was sinless. You see, there was no envy in his life. There was no strife, even among his uh, brothers and sisters as they came along later. There was no jealousy over toys or over uh, major things in life. There was no personal agenda. You see, there was no self-centered attitude in Jesus Christ as he lived a perfect life in a human body on earth. He was God. You see, you and I are not like that. We live in envy and strife and jealousy and personal agendas and self-centeredness and especially self-satisfied attitudes about ourselves. But when Jesus was on earth, his only agenda was to do the will of his Father. You see how contrasting he is from what we are? We live in greed. We live with 
covetousness, always desiring more than we have, a little bit better life, as one famous rich person in our society and our ancestry has said here in America, how much more is enough? Well, just a little bit more. How much will be enough? Just a little bit more. That's what we keep doing. We keep wanting to build our own personal empires, you see. That's what gives us status with our families and with those that are around us. But you see, Jesus wasn't like that. He lived here on earth only to do the will of his Father. And God declared that this was his Son and that he was satisfied with the life of Jesus Christ because it was sinless. The Bible tells us that Jesus was tempted, and we've already seen that he was tempted by Satan himself. But in Hebrews chapter 2, it says that he was tempted in every way, such as we uh, normal human beings are. You see, we're not children of God. We're children of Satan in that we have been lied to by our ancestors and by the very genes that are within us. And, and our allegiance is not to God. And anything that is not in allegiance to God is in allegiance to Satan. And Satan uses that leverage, if you will, as the God of this earth to de destroy anybody's belief in God. Well, God declares that Jesus is his son and that he's well pleased with him. And then he says, hear ye him. Do you hear him? Do you recognize who he is? Do you know that Jesus is God the Son and that he is indeed now declared the Son of God, the Deliverer, the Savior of the world? What do we need to be saved from? We need to be saved from the power of sin in our lives. Now, Satan himself recognizes that Jesus is God, and we see that in Mark chapter 1 as we concluded our time together the last time, and we see that the devil himself, by the way, who, uh, uh, who was known to us as an unclean spirit in Scripture, where do we find him recognizing Jesus? Right in the synagogue, in the place where the Scripture was read. And here was one who was there in the name of worshiping God, who was possessed of an unclean spirit. And this unclean spirit in the presence of Jesus Christ, God the Son, who is the Son of God, declares, I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. You see, the devil himself knew who he was. And he spoke through this unclean spirit and declared who Jesus was. Now all of the people are amazed at what happened. And we'll read that in just a moment as we go down into verse 27 of chapter 1 of the book of Mark. Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out. And his message as he was teaching now those whom he began to collect as his disciples, his followers, who were fishers and said, come with me, I'll show you how to be fishers of men. I'll show you how to tell other people the good news for the good news has come. That's what the word gospel means is good news. And the good news is that God is not going to let us die without a knowledge of a savior that could save us from the penalty of death, which rests on every man because of our own personal sin. So we see that God recognized Jesus as sinless and as his son, and he tells people to hear him, and here's this one who's controlled by the unclean spirit who hears, and God the Son commands that spirit to come out of this person and leave him alone, and he goes his way, and he recognized that Jesus had power to send him to the lake of fire forever, for he will indeed. That's the promise that's yet to come. That Satan and all of his followers, who were the angels that were created to worship 
and give God the allegiance that was due him. But they chose to be self-centered and draw attention to himself. And they followed Lucifer, the leader. And now these angels who are now known as unclean spirits or devils are distracting the message of God himself that here is the righteous one, the holy son of God. But they recognized who he was. You know, the devils believe that Jesus is God. Do you believe that Jesus is God? God said he was, and now we see the demonstration of his power in the life of this individual who is controlled by the unclean spirit. As Jesus says, come out of him. And he says to the people around him, repent ye and believe the gospel. And now we see that people are beginning to recognize that Jesus is God the Son who has come to earth. Verse 26 says that the Spirit came out of him. And the people, verse 27, and they were all amazed insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, So what is this thing? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits to obey him. Of course they had to be, obey him. He was God the Son. He was there when God the Father created these spirits to worship him. He created Lucifer, the leading angel, and these other angels to worship and obey him and carry out his orders. Jesus was there. It says that in the scripture, and it tells us that he indeed was God and that he had the authority to speak and cause to obey those who were unclean spirits. And verse 28 says, And immediately his fame, the fame of Jesus, spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. Now we're at Galilee in the area of Capernaum on the north end of the Sea of Galilee, which is on the north end of the River Jordan, which runs to the south of Israel to the Dead Sea. Now, as the people were seeing that Jesus had this tremendous power and authority over Satan and the devils himself, themselves, we see that they're beginning to recognize him, that he is indeed God, that he is supreme and sovereign and all-powerful, for these are the attributes of God that were seen as the character traits of Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Deliverer, the one who would save us from our sins. Now in chapter uh, 1 of Mark, verses 34 through 39, we see that Jesus began his ministry of healing, showing that he was more powerful than any of the problems of mankind. Read along with me, if you will, please. Verse 34. And he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases, and cast out many devils, and suffered not the devils to speak, because they knew him. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out, and departed into a solitary place, and he prayed. Jesus never acted independently of God the Father. He was there to do his will, and he communicated with God. Now, you remember all the way through the Old Testament, God delighted in communicating with mankind, and here we see God the Father and God the Son in communication through prayer. Jesus was dependent on God the Father as a human being. He was dependent on the control of the Holy Spirit in his life to live a sinless life and he drew his strength from god and that's what prayer is all about verse 36 says and simon and they that were with him followed after him and when they had found him they said unto him all men seek for thee and he said unto them let us go into the next towns that i may preach there also for therefore came i forth 
You see, Jesus was teaching these followers that the gospel wasn't just for one people in one place. It was to be taken to the next towns too. Now continue in verse 39. And he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and cast out devils. Because Jesus is God, he had command of all the situations that confronted him. As people were sick, he was able to heal them because he's God. He is all-powerful, and he now is demonstrating that he is more than just Jesus, who is the son of Joseph and Mary. He is the son of God. He's demonstrating that God is loving and merciful and gracious. These are the character traits of Jesus as he goes about healing people. Jesus felt compassion for these who were sick and demon-possessed. There were people who were possessed of the devils and evil spirits, and Jesus knew that they had to flee when he commanded them to do so. He knew all of these things, and he was demonstrating that he had control of all of the elements of the earth, that all things were in subjection to him. He knew that this business of sin and, and uh, possession by evil spirits was all a result of man's sin and the rule of Satan, Satan himself. Now the Lord is also concerned for you and me. He hasn't changed. Still today he's not changed. He knows whether or not we are still under the power of death. The Lord desires to rescue everyone from Satan's control. That's what it was all about, my friend. Now we see that Jesus heals a leper. Look at verse uh, 40 of chapter 1. And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus, moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and said unto him, I will be thou clean. You see the heart of a loving, gracious, and caring God here as Jesus extends his compassion to this word, this one who is condemned with the disease of leprosy. Now the word used in the Bible for leprosy includes several skin diseases. Some of these diseases would cause the death, death of the nerves in the body extremities resulting in infection that would decay the flesh, causing the sick person to lose parts of his body, such as fingers and hands, and even in some cases parts of his face. Back during that time, there wasn't any medicine to heal leprosy. This man knew that he couldn't heal himself, and he knew that, the, that man couldn't help him. There were no doctors and no medicines at that time, but Jesus was different. You see, he recognized some qualities in Jesus that drew him to him. He knew that Jesus was a man, but that he as a man had power, had the power of God because he was God. The man who had leprosy realized that Jesus could help him even though no one else could. And he did the only thing that he could have done in that time. You see, he came to Jesus asking for his mercy and asking for his help. Now he came to Jesus the way every man must come to God as a sinner, declaring that we need God because we're helpless to save ourselves. Now the sickness of leprosy is like the sin in our lives. There's no way that we can rid ourselves of sin, and God hates sin. Only Jesus, the Savior, can help us. That's why he came into the world. And that's why we're studying God's message so that every one of us will understand clearly what Jesus did to deliver us from Satan and sin and death. Let's read again verse 41 and see that Jesus moved with compassion, 
put forth his hand and touched him and said unto him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him and he was cleansed. Jesus is God and God is all powerful, you see. And here we see the loving, merciful and gracious attitude of Jesus as he reaches out to this one who is condemned by his own people because of an incurable disease. Lepers were outcasts in Bible time, and no one could even come near them. But Jesus touched this man because he loved him. Jesus reached out his hand and touched this man and spoke, and the leprosy was gone. Now he could have merely spoken and the man would have been healed. But he touched him, my friend. No one else would dare to touch a leper. And Jesus, in a heart of compassion and concern for the situation that this man was in, reached out. Jesus did it because he wanted to show God's great love for this man. You see, that was a demonstration of the love of God toward one whom he is now demonstrating his power in. Now, would you like to be able to identify with that labor? You see, because of our sins, we too are unclean in the eyes of God. There's nothing we can do by ourselves to remove the guilt or the penalty of sin. Nobody, nobody in the world can really help us. You see, sadly, those people who are aware of our sinfulness may not want to help us. They see what we really are, those who really know us, and they may have already rejected us, just like the leper was rejected. Now, some people think what that leper must have felt at, at times in perhaps other lepers did, that there was no hope for them. But you see, he saw hope in Jesus, the Son of God. Now, we may feel that if anyone knew what we were really like inside, that they would never want to associate with us either. You see, God knows what we're really like inside. And sometimes when we realize what we're really like inside, we think that others don't want anything to do with us either. We may even think that God looks at us that way too. But my friend, God knows every horrible detail about your life and mine, and he still wants to be our Savior. He not only cares and is willing to reach out to us, but he alone has the power to save us. That's good news, my friend. Jesus is reaching out to you today, and he's saying, yes, I see your sin as you really are. You don't meet my standard, but I have come to show you the way to God. I've come to show you how to be acceptable to God. Believe me, listen to my words. And as God the Father said, hear ye him, hear me, Jesus says. I've had this written for you so that you can know the way to eternal life, so that you can know freedom from the power of Satan and sin and death. And God loves us, and he continually calls out to us so that we can know of his love and compassion and his desire for us to be in oneness with him once again. Let me ask you a question, my friend. Have you tried to please God? Well, that's like asking you, have you ever made any New Year's re resolutions? Have you ever failed to keep them? Have you tried to satisfy God or live for God and you failed? just like you failed in your New Year's re resolutions? How many times have you tried to make a fresh start in your life and failed? Are you still trying and failing? Do you know that God doesn't expect you to change your own life? As a matter of fact, he says you can't do it yourself. Now, 
we're going to take another look at a very important passage of Scripture that deals with this very area of our lives, and I want you to follow along with me. It's one of the most beloved and well-known passages of Scripture in the whole Bible. Like all of the Bible, this was given to us by God so that we might learn and have hope. This message is for you, and it's for me and for everyone in the whole world. So please listen carefully as you turn with me to John chapter 3. This is the next event that we're going to highlight on in our panoramic study of God interacting with real-life people over the centuries. We've come all the way from the book of Genesis in seeing how God dealt with people. Now we're seeing how God the Son deals with people as the promised deliverer. He's teaching real people in real-life situations that actually have happened in history, and he records it so that you and I can know the truth without distortion so that you and I can know what the Bible actually says and that we're not to add to it or take from it, but accept it and believe it what it says because it's God talking to you and I. That's how much he cares for us. Read with me in John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now you remember that the Pharisees were people who added to the law of God. They added so many things that they were strangling the people in their attempt to come to God. They were confusing by the additions uh, to the law, the, their own ideas of how you can please God by keep on trying to do right things. So they'd try to do those right things and then they'd add more to the laws of God. And the people were strangled by these things that were additions to the laws of God. And you know what? They couldn't meet them. And Nicodemus was like that. He was like a person that just kept trying and kept failing. He kept trying to do right things and good things, but he kept missing the mark. He kept seeing that he really wasn't as perfect inside as he would like to make himself out to be, even as a religious leader. Now, Nicodemus was sure that Jesus was one that had been sent by God. And in verse 2, it says, The same came to Jesus by night. And said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Nicodemus recognized that Jesus was more than a normal human being, that he was one who possessed the power of God, and that only these miracles could only be done by the power of God. Now, most of the other Pharisees hated Jesus and were saying that he did these miracles by the power of Satan. Boy, was that a blasphemous statement. They were accusing Jesus of being on an equal level with Satan. You know that there are many people in our society today, many religions that claim that Jesus and Satan are on the same level. They do not recognize that Jesus is God the Son, the Son of God, and they want to put him on the same level as Satan himself. My friend, that's contrary to God who is righteous and holy. And God says that that's wrong understanding. And here we see that Jesus is recognized as God by one Pharisee who is Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus probably came to speak to Jesus at night simply so that the other Jewish leaders wouldn't see him. Boy, doesn't that present the picture of the sinful nature of the heart of man? You see, man is a sinner and he needs God and is helpless to save himself. Let's see what Jesus has responded to Nicodemus now as he comes. And he says, Jesus answered unto him in verse 3, 
and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the, the kingdom of God. Now, in today's world, we have lots of things in our advertising today that are being proclaimed born again. And this phrase, born again, for most of my lifetime, was considered a sacred phrase, a biblical phrase that was understood only in the context of a new spiritual birth. But today, Satan has distracted much from this phrase, being born again. We have born again Volkswagens, born again hamburgers, born again soap, born again everything. But here, God is getting right down to the heart matter of man's need for a new spiritual birth. And here's what he's saying. He's saying that he wants us to be remembering that at the sin of Adam and Eve, we were cut off. All of mankind was cut off from the power and relationship with God. That oneness with God had been broken by our sin. And now Nicodemus, who is coming to God as a helpless sinner, is needing to recognize that he needs to be brought back into that oneness with God. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, uses this phrase, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now this business of being born again is a key foundational truth to understanding the way that God says we can come to him. And we can only come his way. Join me again next time on Bible Foundations as we explore being born again.